0: Hey friends, we had the great pleasure of being interviewed by one of my favorite podcasts recently. Randy and Kyle Whitaker host a show called A Pastor and a Philosopher Walk Into a Bar. Both exceedingly intelligent men who have dabbled in Enneagram. TJ and I sat down to talk about the Enneagram, its merits, its lack, and our choice for drinks while podcasting with these two guys. Our conversation here is split in half, and the first half is much more philosophical and talking about Enneagram as a theory, um, where, it, where it works, where it doesn't work, and the second half is more practical, and we talk through whether Randy is an eight or a one, and whether Kyle is a five or a four. Uh, I greatly enjoyed our time with these men, and I hope you enjoy the discussion. I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slow.
1: Uh, So Jeff and TJ, thanks for joining us in this conversation. We're really excited to talk to you guys about the Enneagram. Uh, I think we've both been listening to your show, and you also sent over some very detailed notes in response to some of the stuff that I had to say about the Enneagram. It's all Jeff. (laughs) I didn't want to presuppose, you know, which one of you that primarily came from. Both your names (laughs) were on it, so... Whoever wrote it, I appreciate it. And it was very helpful to get my head around some of what you guys think about the Enneagram and how to approach this conversation. So I'm excited about it. I, I do want to give a, a disclaimer at the beginning. You may find at some point in this interview or conversation that I might seem like I have strong opinions. <laughs> <about>. <laughs> but it's it's simply because of context. Because in reality, like on the list of things I care deeply about and get worked up about, the Enneagram oh, is boy. very Oh here we low. go. <laughs> here we go. But... I do have some opinions and so we'll we'll see how strongly those come out. So I just want you and the listener to know if I seem like I know, I actually don't. <laughs> there,
2: there's there's like a sentence that kind of encapsulates <laughs> what you just did right here. It's like being very condescending and arrogant at the yes, same time, in a perfect that. yeah. Yes, well Probably because I'm
1: a five, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, and the other, the other disclaimer is that you guys sent us amazingly delicious whiskey, incredible, very generously, and so I'm inclined to agree with whatever you say. And so <laughs> if, uh, <laughs> it could go either way, this really.
2: Is, <laughs> with condescending and arrogance with a lot so of you, uh integrity is what yes it sounds like.
1: and and um yeah just appreciativeness gratefulness for this delicious whiskey so
2: awesome and really you're discovering the actual reason we sent the whiskey it <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> could be
3: if so well played
2: what do you uh, tj I see you drinking something what are you drinking
3: i am drinking a a local whiskey uh i like local stuff mm-hmm. and this i got uh today because i'm in Illinois, and it is uh, whiskey acres. It is a straight rye. Uh, this company apparently like they're farmers, and so they grow their own stuff, wow. and they do all of the distilling and everything on the farm. Cool. And uh, he was saying that they only do like 350 barrels a year, wow. ever. So yeah, it's small batch kind
2: of stuff, and yeah, it's really Fun. good. Are both of you whiskey drinkers?
3: I like all the
0: things. Uh, but but TJ <laughs> appears to be mostly whiskey, yeah, whiskeys and scotches.
3: Yeah, I lean I lean more towards whiskey. Okay. What's your what's some of your favorites? Uh, Oban mm-hmm. Scotch is the the Scotch that like this is the one that I have all the time. I I love Oban. Um, I don't know. I I, I get around. Yeah. I like a lot of different. We had stuff. the
1: Distillers Edition on the show at one point. It Was one of the ones we featured. Lovely, mm-hmm. lovely Scotch. Oh, really, yeah,
3: isn't. Excellent, excellent glass of yep. whiskey.
1: Jeff, you drinking anything?
0: I'm presently sipping on the uh, Oatmeal Stout from Founders oh, Brewery. Nice. Um, I was going to try and get up for a whiskey at night, and I just didn't. I had a very active day and yep. needed a little little hydration. Yep. But uh, but I'm normally a gin drinker. Um, oh, I really do enjoy scotches and whiskeys, and, uh, but, but yep. I'm more of a gin connoisseur.
1: Yeah, you must have good taste based on what you sent us. And for your list, our listeners will have already heard our tasting at this point. But for yours who don't know, um, this is called Signet. It's from Glenmorangie in Scotland. And it is one of my favorite whiskies. period, not just scotch. It's wonderful.
2: So nice. good. Well, Kyle should we jump in?
1: Yeah, let's do it. So in this group here, uh, the four of us, I, I feel a little outnumbered. We have uh, two people who run a podcast about the Enneagram, obviously very pro. Randy is pretty pro, although I saw in the outline you put some, some you know, fair, like <laughs> possibly critical questions. I appreciated that. Um, I'm the skeptic. I'm the holdout, but also, as I said, a relatively apathetic skeptic. Uh, not very high on my priority list, but I, I don't buy it. So, i um, interested to see how this goes. What made you guys want to, because you approached us, what made you want to talk to us about this? Uh, I've been a huge fan of your podcast. Um, nice. I have worked professionally as both a pastor and a philosopher
0: for over 12 years and uh, found your podcast, I believe it was like a year ago. And uh, just a lot of the people that you're conversing with, uh, a lot of the topics that you're covering ended up being things that I've been very interested in for a while. And Excellent. so it was, not, and I, but I've kind of gotten out of the literature, and so your podcast has kind of kept me up to date for the most part, especially when you have specialists on who are talking about contemporary work. Yeah, and, so,
2: and you probably overheard Kyle condescendingly talk about the Enneagram. I'm sure.
1: Only once, I think it came up one time. Yeah, yeah, it popped once, and I, and, <laughs> and I got the bug. I, I got my,
0: my 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 you know hair on my arms went up, and I was like, <laughs> I need to connect with these men <laughs> and and over a slow you know seven or eight month drip 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 have have sought to make this happen and yeah. here we are yeah
1: here we are yeah what was your philosophical background like I was gonna ask that later but I think now is as good a time as any it might help me to frame yeah. kind of where you're coming
0: from uh, got my master's degree from CU Boulder stayed under Wes Morrison and Michael Tooley oh um, no way the my focus was on the problem of divine hiddenness, is what I wrote nice. on, but, but most of the stuff, I really got into uh, Pascal in, at that time, and that's been a, a real focus of mine, has been Pascal since then.
1: Yeah. Okay, that's quite different. So that's, that's a lot of somewhat disparate influences for listeners who don't know. Um, the people he named are very analytic, particularly Thule, who's kind of well-known for being a very analytic atheist, um, mounted probably one of the strongest versions of the problem of evil it's ever been written um, and then Pascal something else <laughs> something very different.
2: so we do a podcast you know um, Jeff that we talk about all sorts of different topics and some some of them we come back around to whether it's the Bible or creation and evolution there's a number of things that we kind of go back to several times but I can't imagine as a podcaster talking about one thing for, you know, I think I, I've as I've been listening through your podcast, you've got over 140 episodes live, I think. Um, tell us about what made you want to do a, an Enneagram podcast and just keep doing it.
1: And you have more than one. There's like two, right? Is that right? Yeah. Okay.
2: Now there's 30. three, you got Three actually. feeds now. <laughs> Holy cow.
3: Yeah. Uh, so we are both nerds. There's a uh, first start. So uh, when we get into something, we usually get into it pretty hard. Uh, and the... As we were studying and learning more and more about the Enneagram for our own purposes, we realized that there's not like the, the type of podcast or, or engagement with the material that's out there it didn't it didn't satiate us. Like the, there wasn't the kind of podcast that we really wanted. There was a lot of surface level, a lot of business oriented and a lot of sort of intro podcasts. And there was also, there also is a lot of information out there that's more focusing on one person, like they have a guest and they talk about that one person and some of the issues that go around with them. And And so uh, we sat down and we talked about what if we did our own podcast that would essentially go around the circle, that would top, talk about issues instead of people, and, and we could address all nine types through that that lens and uh that kind of just happened and here we are what four years later and we just haven't run out of material to talk about yet and what are you what number are you guys i am a type nine uh sometimes called the peacemaker or the mediator uh basically i want things to be calm and simple and and harmonious and i avoid conflict at all costs
2: and what's your wing eight or one
3: I, uh, so we actually don't necessarily believe that wings are, are typically dominant. We think that you can use the tools from your wings in, in different ways and different spaces. And
1: you're going to have to explain to me what that means when you're done. Talking. Uh, so I,
3: I personally don't, I go back and forth. Uh, I use my eight wing for certain scenarios. Okay. I use my one wing for certain scenarios. I don't think I lean more in either direction.
0: It's a good description of kind of what our topics are. Is it's much more Enneagram theory and talking theory over, all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but I type as a one, and ones are improvers. Uh, really want to, uh, they connect to the world by trying to make it better. And that happens in relationships and in jobs and physical spaces,
1: and that's how I type Can uh, So I guess I'll say I'm a five, supposedly. That works. <laughs> and I'm, liter- I'm literally having to yep. look up what my uh, wings or whatever were because I don't remember. Um, it's been a long time. Well, these
2: guys don't care about wings, so probably
1: not, but I want you to explain that. eight, eight <laughs> and four and, a, and I don't remember which one was, which, um, explain what you just said, TJ about wings. And
3: so, uh, if you look at the Enneagram diagram, it's a circle, uh, with a bunch of lines in the middle and wings describe the type on either side of you. So there are some tests and information out there that give what I would call what you just described a tri-type okay so you are dominant in five and then you have some strong eight qualities and you also have some strong four qualities but the fact that eight is far away from you means that it cannot be your wing okay so four and six are the only wings for five and uh, you draw from different qualities on either side of that to,
2: to sort of fill out some of the spaces. Great. All right. So I've been told that, well, I'm definitely an eight um, with a seven wing, but then I've been told I go to a two in health and a five in unhealth. Can you describe for us what that means? Or do you believe in those words? So, yeah, we do not use those words. Okay. We use uh, stress and security okay. most often
3: and so what that means is that that describes the lines that are in the middle of the the circle and uh stress and security when when we are in stress places when we when our normal methods for getting the things that we want aren't working we move to a a stress place and we start to grab some of the qualities that are there our motivation stays the same in our center But now we're picking up some of the behavior that's down there and and we are very strong believers that you can do that in healthy and unhealthy ways Mm -hmm. which is why we don't like health and unhealth as descriptors Mm -hmm. so as an eight when you are in stress moving to five means that you can pick up some of the great things that are there at five to help you recenter figure out what's going on and then move back to eight to figure out how to re-engage Or you can go to five and uh, just basically take your ball and go home. You can do the the unhealthy version of things that are at five. Uh, And same thing for security in the other direction. Got it.
1: Okay, so at this point, a lot of your listeners are like, Vibe, and yeah, this is awesome. And a lot of our listeners are like, what the hell are they talking about? So let's back up. um, What is the Enneagram? (laughs) And why should people who have no familiarity with it care?
0: Enneagram is a theory about human motive. A lot of people will paint it as a personality typing system, which it can be. Um, I like it better as a theory about human motivation, and giving language to what motivates us can be incredibly helpful. And it just so happens that when jumping into that topic and talking about your motive, my motive, and when lots of different people talk about their motivations, what Ingram suggests is that patterns begin to emerge in which some people are providing very similar answers and lo and behold as you begin to to push and see their life experiences you begin to see things like what we're talking about in stress this is what those with my motivation tend to do when i feel secure this is more how i move and lo and behold we see this pattern nearly across the board. It's one of those things that's very hard to test for, or it's, it's not a physical thing like the sciences often can chart, but if the theory holds, it would be something like when talking about human motivation, nine big types emerge, and they tend to have very similar struggles and similar patterns of behavior and similar ways that they attach in relationships and similar ways that they solve problems and the rest.
1: Mm-hmm. So how did those types, how are they arrived at? You, you use the word emerge. That's not necessarily the, um, the word I might have, have used, but you know way more about the Enneagram than me. So I'm happy to defer to you on its history and development. Um, so yeah, why nine? Why the specific nine? Where does that come from? Why, are, you, are you committed to that being a hard limit? Is it flexible, etc.?
0: In, in our mind, I'll speak for TJ, I suppose, the nine types are discovered, they're not invented. And so it's more like pulling back the veil on human motive and engaging human psychology from that specific line of thought and discovery and finding that the the best way to articulate what's going on across Uh, the spectrum of human beings, is something like describing everyone's motive with nine different words or ideas, and that that pattern ends up being uh, a very helpful way of talking about one's inner life. Mm -hmm. It would be like talking about seven colors, or better yet, talking about 12 musical notes, that the 12 musical notes are, in essence, discovered And what we see with the 12 musical notes is that they actually go around in a circle Mm -hmm. and that that there are different combinations, there's overtones, there's ways that they can pair and create harmonies. And that's real similar in our mind to how human motive works.
1: So I'm happy with the metaphor. I was gonna ask you about that metaphor anyway with music. I think that's helpful. But of course there are ways that we know that there are those discrete types in music, that there is only a limited number of notes and a limited number of possible combinations of those notes. There are like verifiable (laughs) methods that we can use to to discern that. Um, And so is anything, it seems like that's where the metaphor breaks down. And so is there anything similar in the case of the Enneagram? Because the other part of my question was, are you committed to there just being nine? And if so, what justifies that? How would you know that there's 12 notes? Uh, the the mu- music people tell me <laughs> 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 the, the, the people who study the physics of sound uh, tell me that there's only so many uh, things that you know the human ear can perceive. I think th- I
0: think it would be actually real similar in terms of what is being named is that there's like a combination when you have a frequency in music there's a certain frequency and it pairs and matches with a different frequency over and over and over and over and over again. And I would say that it's real similar in terms of how our motivations work. When people begin to describe how and why they're motivated, the language, if say you interviewed 20 people who typed, just for, say you assumed the theory, you Mm -hmm. had 20 people that typed as a type eight, and then you looked at their language, and how they talked about engaging the world, what you would see is a a lot of really common patterns. Mm -hmm. And then if you talked about fives, what you would actually see is another pattern in terms of the connection between type eight and the type five that have some similarities and distinctions. Because fives, when secure, actually take on a lot of the characteristics of eights. And eights, when in stress, take on a lot of the characteristics of fives. So your relationship, which which shares a line, ends up having a natural chemistry to it yeah, that's worth that's worth talking about, and it's something mm-hmm. that's unveiled, discovered after countless conversations.
1: I, I don't, I have objections, but they're not they're not potentially like <laughs> go to the core of it kind of objections. But I do want to insist that you answer the question specifically. Are you committed to there only being nine?
0: Yeah, I think that's what's discovered.
1: What, what do you okay, say, you think that has been discovered? Yeah, that's my take, but.
3: I am as committed to there only being nine as I am to there only being seven colors in the rainbow.
1: Okay. Now, see, that to me is an extraordinarily strong claim that would require an extraordinary amount of evidence on the level that physics gives us about color. (laughs) And, like, it's, hopefully you agree, absolutely non-controversial that nothing exists in that way for the Enneagram or for any personality inventory. And so it just seems to me that the claim that you guys have committed yourself to far outstrips the evidence. Now I'm I'm fine with saying this is like extraordinarily useful in a lot of identifiable ways, and we can describe those ways in our own experiences and the experiences of people that we've met and talked to about this. And we've have 150 episodes <laughs> describing of our podcast. <laughs> totally fine with that. <laughs> but that's an extraordinary claim that you just made. Compare I it. Suppose. Compare it for example to what the Big Five, which is like the most scientifically validated personality inventory. The claim it makes for itself is something along the lines of these five types capture about 80% of personality variance among humans. And so there's about 20% that it doesn't capture. And also those five types are about primarily human behavior or language used to describe human behavior. And it really is kind of, as you described, a discovered thing in the sense of they the types were developed uh, based on the ways people describe themselves and then kind of making abstractions from lots of those ways and scientifically rigorous ways. Alternatively, correct me if I'm wrong about this, but it seems like for the Enneagram, the types pre-existed the evidence or the application. So we have the system, and then we kind of apply it to people's experiences. And what do you know, we find a lot of commonality and that it seems to make a lot of sense. But it's more of a top-down approach rather than a bottom-up approach. Correct me if I'm wrong about that, but that's how it seems to be.
0: To circle back to musical theory, the idea that there is an H or an I note doesn't really make sense in music theory because it's a circle. And, and as uh, Enneagram gets unfolded in terms of theory, it's, it's circular in nature. And so it's almost an all or nothing kind of package so I do understand the big five could say, hey, there's a big six. Mm-hmm. All f- that's all fine for me. I'm, I'm not an advocate for that. But in terms of Enneagram, it, it functions much more as a holistic system. Mm-hmm. Now, that actually makes it easy to disprove on one front, if you can figure out a tenet. Yeah,
1: it does. So let's get to that. <laughs> yeah. so, so this is another concern I have with this kind of rigidity about the, the numbers, uh, the amount of them, the nature of them, is that it doesn't seem like I'm free to not fit into them, right? So if I have the experience, which I did have, maybe I took the wrong test. I don't know. I took the whips. Um, and so maybe you, have, maybe you think that one's awful. I don't know. But, but you know, it, it puts me in some boxes, right? And I know you don't think that's the purpose of the Enneagram, and I want to hear you out about that. But if I feel like, mm, I don't know if I strongly identify with what it told me. I do in some ways, but not in other ways. Maybe I just as strongly identify with some of the other numbers. Maybe I strongly identify with things that aren't on that list at all. Maybe yep. I think I'm just more complex than that. Um, it doesn't seem like I'm free to take that move. It seems like I've somehow misunderstood myself if I can't locate myself in its categories. Do you think that's right or no?
3: You got thoughts, teach. I do. Uh, I would say if you are wearing a pair of glasses and they don't help you see better, then you should probably get new glasses. And in the same way, if you are attempting to use the Enneagram to uh, for better self-knowledge and and even self-improvement, and you are trying to use tools from a type that don't work for you, then you should probably try another type.
1: Where the rubber really hits the road, I think, is when I don't find that any of them completely capture me or that I, or that there's some other thing mm-hmm. that's just not on the list that, that I think is a core uh, aspect of my personality. Am I free to say, this list is incomplete? It sounds like you're claiming that I am no. not. Um, and if I'm not, I want to know why. I would love to say two things on that front.
0: One, I think it's right to distinguish between how you see the world as a type and then theory as a set of glasses. Theories are a set of glasses. You you view reality through presuppositions that make sense of what you are encountering. If it's the case that there are anomalies, they need to be named and dealt with or, or else they disprove the theory. And so your experience can be a disproof of the theory and i think that's what i would be committed to in terms of saying is there a tenth type i think i'd be a comm- more committed to the to to saying i think that there are there are legitimate anomalies out there that would negate
1: the the theory excellent okay good that's helpful thank you
3: and i would i would also say that while we can, there, there are lots of things to say about why you might present as a different type than you actually are. Um, things like trauma breaks all the rules, but the, the realistically, if you and I were friends and I was trying to convince you that the Enneagram was real and you were bringing up these exact issues, I would say, that's fine, you don't need it. Mm-hmm. It's not for you, that's yeah. fine. <laughs>
1: There's We're all agreed that. that I don't need it, <laughs> what I, <what> I want <laughs> to get to the bottom of is whether or not it's valid. Um, but I'm going to let Randy ask some questions. I've been hogging this.
2: Well, I mean, I'm just wondering if part of your discomfort, Kyle, is not with, simply with the Enneagram itself, but with the strong way it's kind of presented and sold by, by some, that this is, this is ironclad we know it to be true. Is that your discomfort with it? If if they were just claiming that this is a great tool to understand yourself and understand others, and it's one of many, and but it's our favorite, would you have as many issues?
1: No, I I wouldn't. I mean, I would have issues, but not as many. Okay. I would have different yeah. different set of issues. Um, yeah. So I I wrote a little thing that you guys read, and maybe I'll put in the show notes for this one. Um, and I'll, if you want, I can go through my main objections in a bit. Um, But yeah, that is one of them. Because I I know people, I think you're one of these people who uses it in very responsible ways. And it is kind of a tool for self-discovery, but there's not a lot of weight put on its pronouncements. It's just helpful when it's helpful, and if it's not helpful, it's not helpful. And I have other friends who use it kind of like a parlor game, something akin to astrology or the Myers-Briggs. And I have no problem with that. Uh, I'm I'm a Ravenclaw, right? <laughs> that's that's the joke I like to make, and I put just as much weight on that as I do on the Enneagram. <laughs> frankly, I know that's I know that's maybe an offensive thing to say, but I think it's just as well. Not at all. T- well, he's he's <laughs> also really weird about Harry Potter. So. I am. I'm a huge Harry Potter buff, and um like those four houses they're less complex obviously but they map onto major uh, traits of human personality in very obvious ways and it didn't take somebody brilliant mm-hmm. it just took jk Rowling <laughs> to, to come up with them you know and millions of people have found that they really identify with them and feel at home in them and um, have developed communities around them and that are very life-giving and, and very introspective. And uh, there's self-discovery that happens in conversations about You're the You're getting houses. so geeky. I know, but it's true. <laughs> and so, like, I'm totally fine but with all that. I'm with you. Yeah, I'm totally fine but with all that. But
3: even Dumbledore himself said that sometimes he thinks that we sort too soon.
1: I love that you know that. <laughs> <laughs> See now I can't give any more objections. We're we're done. Drink your whiskey and talk about your body. a nice. primary
0: for me. And this was the one thing I really wanted to get Kyle's response to is a primary for me is that the movement from modernity to post-modernity ends up being the move to subjectivity, the move from the stuff out there to how we, in, how we interpret all the stuff out there. And psychology itself is a fairly new discipline on these fronts, in terms of talking about the filter that is you. Because it used to be the case, it used to be the case that, no, this is the objective truth, as it were. Mm -hmm. And obviously 20th century philosophy ends up being just replete with, D- uh, analysis of language, analysis of yeah. your filter. Which is what um, gave
1: rise to the big five, by the way, right? I mean, it, literally, it's like ordinary language philosophy, more or less. We look at dictionaries. And so as opposed to some some folks, and TJ
0: kind of recounted some of the, the work on this front who want to see Enneagram as a very ancient system. I tend to say Enneagram is is red hot new and Mm. seeking to talk about how we engage reality, given our motive, because our motive is everything. As I I put in the notes that I sent you, I feel as though you cannot prove anything at the outset. You have to assume some things without evidence that make sense of everything else. Mm -hmm. So for example, you have to assume that the world out there exists. Mm You cannot prove that. You have to assume that other people have a self conscious experience the way that you do. Mm-hmm. That cannot be verified. And I could go through 20 other things. We could talk about Blanca and properly basic ideas. We could talk about how presuppositions work. I'm a big fan of Thomas Kuhn. There ends up being something at the, at the, at the beginning of the mm-hmm. knowledge process in which we are talking about presuppositions. And here's the kicker they come out of your motive.
1: Yeah, I don't buy that part. Um, I, I was mostly okay with the rest of it. I'd, we could quibble about the modernity, postmodernity thing. I think what you're describing is thoroughly modern. Um, but ooh, I mean, it's Kant. Uh, why, it's, why is that? It's the Copernican turn. I mean, it's, it's it, didn't why take, it. Why wouldn't
0: why wouldn't it ca- be categorized as a postmodern way of conceiving? Post-modernism, postmodernism
1: is largely a rejection to what Kant was doing in making uh, kind of a knowledge first philosophy, as I understand it. Um, so there would be no postmodernism if modern philosophy hadn't already made that move, if that makes sense. So it's not like the world is out there to be known and we just got to get close enough to it with our methods. That's demolished in Kant long before there were any such thing as postmodernists. And I think he was right. Okay, so so like to a large extent. And and if I had a theory of motive, which I don't, because I don't know anything about psychology, it would be a kind of deontology. But that's more focused on an ethic than anything else, like a fu- a function of motive. You're um, gonna have to start translating here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. He it's his fault. He brought it up. Um, but but I totally agree with this basic point, which is kind of a pun, which is that yeah, you got to start somewhere and that place is not going to be justified by something else. and for me i'm an empiricist it's sense perceptions. some version of sense perception. i'm i'm a post kantian empiricist so, so i think there is a priori knowledge but like in general um, i'm a physical thing and i interact with other physical things and that's where all my knowledge is built out from it's, you know. Not, would
0: would it be would it be fair to say that you're motivated to choose sense perception over something else?
1: Yeah, of course. And I hope that I'm motivated by reason and by evidence. That's my goal.
0: And you're a five.
1: Of course. But that (laughs) that specific thing, right, that you just did, that you know, you know what I'm going to say, you know what you're doing, like the... It's that kind of thing that raises the hackles of people who don't fit, don't feel themselves to fit well in the categories. Because any kind of thing that I bring up, even if it if I think it cuts to the foundations of it, it's always easily explained away by the theory itself.
0: I would love to talk about hackles because I think that's incredibly important. I have natural um, aversions to a whole host of things and naming why I have an aversion ends up mattering I think and mm-hmm. I, I, I I absolutely sympathize with 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 that place that you that you're in and I think as TJ said if this isn't helpful chuck it to the side of the road
1: yeah
2: um I really do enjoy the Enneagram it's I, I started out like I am for everything that's kind of seems like a fad I, I was very skeptical and everybody was trying because to like put a number on pastor Randy and And I just don't do well in response to those kind of situations. But my spiritual director practices it. I highly honor and respect and love my spiritual director and um, think the world of him. And so he, and he's well-versed in it. And he's brought it to me in a way that's been a gift to me. Um, It's really, really transformed the way I see myself, the way I see, the way I engage with the world around me, the way I engage with my kids and my wife, all sorts of things. Um, it's been helpful for me on our team of elders or who, people who are helping lead our church. Knowing one another has diffused so much strife and wasted time on trying to figure out where you're coming from. It's just, It was a profound transformative tool for our elders to do an Enneagram workshop with, with an expert. That being said, I still do have my skepticism about it. And it's usually in the way that it's brought to me, in the way it's kind of... You know, submitted to the world and a couple of they're both kind of polar opposites, but I don't like it when I hear people talk about the Enneagram as the end all be all of knowing about the world and about ourselves and about one another when it's kind of taken as kind of worshipped almost, you know. I get really uncomfortable, which I think we probably all should. Um, but it, there, for some reason it seems that there's a propensity to go there with Enneagram. So I'd love to hear your guys thoughts on that. And then the conversely, I always also get uncomfortable with people who take a online free or, you know, 10 buck assessment, do the thing, who knows what kind of situation they're in when they do the assessment, they want to get their number and then they just talk about their number and why they're that number and they know nothing about it. They haven't been guided through it by somebody who actually knows about the enneagram and who can kind of coach them and train them and have a long-term relationship with it those two things drive me nuts and i see a lot of that out there as a pastor what are your guys thoughts on those
0: i'd love to speak to this there is something about and this was mentioned by kyle earlier and i think it's incredibly important that with enneagram i'm talking about you And I'm talking about your inner life and I'm going to talk about where you struggle and I'm going to talk about some things that are really personal and I'm going to make assumptions about you and I don't know you, Mm -hmm. but I have this system and the system is all of a sudden grabbing hold of you. And so one of the things I wrote in my notes, uh, to y'all was oftentimes the same critiques that I hear about Enneagram are the identical, identical critiques I hear about Christianity. Hmm. And they come across, they come across as don't control me one, and two, you don't have the evidence. Two, and three, you don't know me. Mm-hmm. By the way, that's a great threefold Enneagram way of, of opposing any system.
1: Also a great like, uh, album trilogy for a punk <laughs> band. <laughs> 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 there,
0: there is something about this where if I was just talking about my theory of giraffes, nobody would care. You say, yeah, the, the, your theory about giraffes is probably really important and, and it's doing good in the world. But when I say this is my theory about human motivation, that is going to cut deep because motive is deep. I think that motive is, is almost bedrock in terms of your human identity that lasts over time and is likely eternal. And so, of course, we're, pu- we're pushing into the most core things about what makes you you in my mind
2: so you've i haven't encountered the enneagram in a way that talks about it centered on human motivation as i think it through and think it through the ways that i've you know experienced the enneagram with my spiritual director i think it makes sense but tell me why that human motivation thing is so so big for you is i'm assuming you're not the only ones who think that the enneagram is all about human motivation but where does that come from that that angle on it
0: is that us tj It might be. Is that original? (laughs)
2: We're
3: we're repackaging similar ideas from other people. Uh, So Richard Rohr talks a lot about the avoidances. I avoid conflict. Eights avoid being controlled. Uh, The avoidances are part of how this person teaches it. And when you think about that in different ways, you can actually see that being a motivation. Mm -hmm. And I think that Jeff and I just really stumbled into using the word motivation and and leaned into that in a way that like this has become how we talk about the enneagram is that it's about human Mm -hmm. motive Mm -hmm.
0: fives avoid being incompetent and eights avoid being vulnerable um Mm. the so, th- given my discipline, like I'm, this is a, a a worthwhile overlap of things that just hadn't overlapped.
2: So, two things. I mean, one, you just said something as an about an eight that I completely don't identify with. You said that eights avoid vulnerability, and I actually like have to be vulnerable.
0: I I would, Randy, I would really like to talk to you about your type. <laughs>
2: Yeah? <laughs> I've listened to
1: a lot of your podcasts,
0: bro.
2: Tell me. All right, here go. Here, let's go.
1: And they type w- people that they've never met. I just heard you typing all the <laughs> actors in Jurassic Park, so this is apparently a thing they're okay with. No. They're <laughs> fictional characters.
2: It's fine. So, is that real, Jeff? I, w-
1: I would, I would want to have a
0: longer conversation with you about eightness. I'd, it, uh, there's a lot of things that, that you say and that don't strike me as coming out of that motive, mm-hmm. but I don't want to, I don't want to have an existential crisis here <laughs> on the, on the podcast <laughs> either, but, but it's, it is one of those places where, how do we talk through you? You can, unfortunately you can't put people under a microscope in terms of their motive. Mm-hmm. Your, mo- this is one of the great glories of being a human being is that you have an immaterial, I believe you have an immaterial essence to yourself, which is profound and depthy and you cannot be reduced. To electrochemical activity in in your skull that that would be my metaphysic i don't know if you guys hold that i don't know that we've
1: we've been meaning to have an episode on that for a long time and we've just never gotten around to it maybe this will prompt it yeah (laughs) let's not have it
2: right now though (laughs) so i really want to talk to you jeff more about what what you think i am or what you hear that's not 80 of me but um not eight yeah uh Oh man, I lost my train of thought, See, I had one more question. existential
0: crisis, I, I was, I, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. I think it's no, just, it's just old man's yeah, shit being here.
1: <laughs> well, I, yeah, so one of the things I try to point out in that essay, and I really don't want to belabor this point, um, is that it's simply not scientific, um, but it should be, uh, because what it's doing is a very scientific thing, and all of the attempts at making it scientific have either um, arrived at a kind of neutral uh, conclusion or just been negative. Results, and there just haven't been that many people willing to take it up. And so, uh, if you're right, maybe more people will, and it'll become a whole thing. And uh, I'd I'd be fine to see that and be corrected. But uh, my perspective, as a very much non-scientist, is that that's very unlikely.
0: So this was—I sent you my debate with with the fine folks. I forgot the. I'm I'm sorry to
1: admit that I did not have time to watch that, but maybe
0: I will get to. Our Our entire debate was about how the work hasn't been done. The people who were doing the work died. If the work hasn't been done, I'm a philosopher. I'm not a scientist. That's right. not my job. My job is to, to talk about systems. As a system, I can defend my end of the bargain. And as I wanted to say earlier, the Wild Wild West is upon us on this front. And if it is the case that those with some, some fire in their belly get into this as uh, you know, PhD students want to do some dissertation work on Enneagram, you're gonna see a whole host of really interesting things happen. I cannot do anything about that except for throw 20 bucks their way and, and wish them well. Right. And, and I'm curious to hear what they hear on that end. But you have Stanford psychotherapists who love the hell out of this material. Hmm. And that, that's enough for me on one front. Secondarily, and I think this is really much more important in terms of this discussion, I put this in the notes I sent you. The places where there is psychological say happening oftentimes creates theories that is using language that Enneagram has been using. Hmm. And so what you actually have is complementary theories moving and what Enneagram in my experience ends up being is just it's a much more simplistic language and simplism isn't always bad. E equals MC squared is brilliant because of its simplicity. Enneagram does a great job of bringing in a handful of of psychological theories that end up having tons of literature behind them. So I would footnote and say you should look up object relation theory, I would footnote and say you should look up self-determination theory. Both of these divide human beings into threes, into three camps, just like the Enneagram does, and they do it in different patterns. What Enneagram does, it's really interesting, is it creates it takes those patterns of threes and it creates it into a more holistic system and that is is we're talking about real i realize it would take quite a bit to actually pitch that as a theory but lo and behold that's why the enneagram actually has some real base tones to
1: it all right we're not going to come to terms on this point <laughs> in this conversation so <laughs> let's slightly change the subject because there's other important questions that i want to get to so what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions uh, or illegitimate critiques that you've encountered about the enneagram. Feel free to include mine <laughs> if, if you want. Um, what is like the thing you wish its critics understood about it?
3: The uh, first one for me is that it is not a product of the occult. <laughs> yeah, this is a scare tactic used by the same people who thought D and D was going to turn everyone into <laughs> Satanists. <laughs> Like it was just the end of I, it. I grew up being taught that, yeah. And and the people who really wanted to turn people away from anything new age in the eighties and nineties really did a lot of work to convince everyone that the Enneagram was evil. Hmm. That's that's my biggest like just just stop. Yeah. This this is silly.
0: I mean, not to double down on what we just said, but it's dismissed by pretentious, uninformed academics, and they should have just said, look, I've never studied this. Who might I've never, be I've to? never heard Kyle
2: refer to such, but I like it.
0: You're not doing that. It's the, it's the fucking psychologists that are doing that. I'll cut that. It's the psychologists that are doing that. I'm, I'm not the one who needs to tell people, hey, you know what? I've never done any study on that. And I probably shouldn't comment, but that's what they do. Mm -hmm. And you know how I know that is because I've heard these folks tell me what the Enneagram is and they are uninformed.
1: Yeah, fair. Okay. So follow up then. What is one or two legitimate critiques that you think exist of the Enneagram?
3: The tests are unreliable because it's all about self-reporting.
1: Okay. I was going to ask you about this anyway. So explain what you mean by that. Cause like Randy so and I used of... the same tests. We got results that seem to fit us, frankly. Right. Uh, on Honestly, mm-hmm. if I'd taken sure. anything and gotten anything other than a five, I would have thought something was wrong. with it. But the but truth yeah. is coming out here. All right. right. But this is like, you yeah. know, a test written by a psychologist, one of the few like trained psychologists mm-hmm. who have you know, de- de- developed their own tests. Um, but I've read, you know, yeah. I've read lots of Enneagram proponents who say, this is a really bad way to like un- type yourself is taking these tests. And they're like, it's yeah. not a good way to know your number. So yeah. Explain why.
3: I, especially as someone who wears glasses and has to go to an, op- an optometrist, there is a level of subjectivity involved in how we see. And so we have to spend time with a set of glasses to understand it clear more clearly and to, to know if it actually works. So when you take the test, you were taking the test in a moment, in a situation, and to have some type of algorithm determine for you how you see the world may change from day to day or from moment to moment Mm -hmm. so the idea that taking this one test will forever determine where to put me into this box is it to me it's it is all of the things about reductionism that people level at the enneagram Mm -hmm. and i get that i i'm fully on board with that yeah
1: yeah
2: that's good. I
1: like that. Jeff, what was your answer to the legitimate
0: critique question? In As a theory, Enneagram, it seems to me, is a substantive uh, description of human behavior that has not been disproven. And theories need to be disproven. And I would, I would reference Thomas Kuhn on this front, that the way that theories work is you assume a way of seeing the world. The way that you disprove theories is to showcase anomalies and that's how theories are put down and I would suggest the work has not been done to disprove the Enneagram that's the problem what has been done is ridicule what has been done is assumption what has been done are postures towards people who are clearly lunatics who have a symbol that looks like a pentagram having sex with a triangle. <laughs> we get it. We get it. I think we have our sound bite for this episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the academic work hasn't been put in to disprove
1: the theory. Yeah, I love how you turned the legitimate critique into a strength.
2: <laughs> that was very good. That was very good, Jeff. And, you know, I'm intrigued by what you said, where you doubt whether I'm an Enneagram 8, perhaps, yeah. Um, I'd love to hear you tease that out a little bit from what you've heard, and just—do you mind? I
1: would too. Let's psychoanalyze Randy. Yeah. This isn't psychoanalysis. I'm sorry. <laughs> do your thing on him.
0: <laughs> Randy, do you? Would you describe yourself as? Would Would other people describe you as being too much? Sometimes. Is it the case that when you're in stress, you retreat into your head?
3: Like legit stress, not like there's too much traffic stress but like your world might be falling apart a little bit
2: yeah okay I, I mean it's kind of between my head and I get pretty combustive
0: just describe combustive.
2: I um, I see what needs to be done or I see the problem and I get angry if um, things aren't happening to to help come to a you know come to a healthy place does that make sense
0: Are you a my way guy or the
2: right way guy? Jeez. Um, What's the difference? (laughs) 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 Okay, sorry. Um, I would say I'm the right way guy.
0: Is it the case that you connect to others by telling them how they can do better in their lives? Sure. Is it the case that you have a strong radar when things are are not ordered well.
2: Ordered well? I don't know. I thought you were going to say something about like justice or um not right and then I would say yes. Um ordered well maybe.
0: Okay.
2: TJ. Justice counts because justice is a a sense of order. There
3: is there is a way that the world that things in the world should mm-hmm. be.
0: Do you believe there is a way in the world that things should be? I think so. Yeah. And these are all, these are all answers that a different type would give. I don't know the punchline. Tell me the punchline. There's line. a reason that you're drawn. <laughs> tell me what, tell me your story about being drawn to being a pastor. Say that again, Jeff. Pa- pastoring is a wor- is work that mm-hmm. in theory doesn't have a lot of financial reward, mm-hmm. but you're drawn to it and you've committed your life to it mm-hmm. and you serve people at a high level. Why have you jumped into that vocation?
2: It's a loaded question, but I mean, calling, f- feeling called into to it, sound, makes a huge um, is a huge part of it. But um, I think it's I'm committed to the church and the way of Jesus because I think it's the best way to live out as a human being um, and to treat others, to see the world, orient yourself towards the world. Does that make sense?
0: It does. I got. I want to talk about myself at some point, TJ. But you got other things.
3: Uh no, because we're already there. I think.
0: Where is there? Tell me the punchline. The, <laughs> the, the, the there is the, there ends up being like this. You and I are angry, but your anger doesn't necessarily unleash at the world first. First, your anger unleashes at yourself first. Correct.
2: Hmm. I don't know if I'm prepared to answer that. Yet. <laughs> I need to think. I need to think about that. Is what I mean.
0: Let me talk about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, a, p- a primary motive for me is to improve the world. I connect by, by wanting to help people to be better. Um, I have a radar for in discussion for trying to advance the conversation okay. and to elevate the conversation. I'm very idealistic. Um, when it's the case that problems happen relationally, I generally have a blind spot to that. But I often end up blaming myself first if things go badly. Um, In fact, self-criticism is a strong part of my personality. It's also one of the reasons I got into church work. It's because here's a place that I idealistically think that the world can be improved. There's a vision of reality here that I can get behind. There is a power here that I think is real, tangible, that I connect to, and I feel that power not in my emotions my relational self i feel it in my intuitions the 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 volume level the corporate singing um often do something to me that elevates and that's a place i connect with god Uh um my enneagram oneness comes out in ways that look like that and i could talk for for days about about this I don't see your anger being unleashed on knuckleheads. I don't see your lust, a voracious appetite, and as you said earlier, you don't feel vulnerable. And those are primary for AIDS.
2: Hmm. Well, for me, vulnerability is really important. Actually, okay, like it's if I if I feel like I can't be vulnerable, I almost kind of, I just make my way through that conversation or that relationship out of duty rather than enjoyment. Like as a pastor, I've, I felt like I was dying when I couldn't tell my congregation what I believed because I was scared of what they might think or if they might go away. And, you know, now that I've in the last several years kind of come come clean about everything that I believe, I feel a s- profound sense of peace and comfort and um, satisfaction, if that makes sense.
0: Can you can you talk about the fear of your congregation going away because of what you were talking about?
2: It's just I feel like a typical pastor pastoral fear is that um, if people know what I really think, they might you know think that I'm a heretic or you know lose I'll lose my job. Basically, um, losing my church means I lose my job. That's not a good motivation. I don't. I really really hate that as a motivation. So I've I've pushed against that, and I've said I don't. To me, what's more important is being authentic, rather than being liked, or rather than being popular. I'd rather be myself. I'd rather be honest. That's a huge uh, motivator for me: is honesty. Tj, why? What's important about honesty? Because it's myself. If I don't, if I can't be honest, I'm not being myself, and that's that. Seems like a, um, I'm not interested in not being myself. So an eight.
3: Uh, would typically answer a question like that. An eight is concerned about honesty because the truth is better than any kind of untruth. Mm. Not necessarily about being true to you Mm. because a lot of eights don't have a sense of true to Mm. me. There is truth and there is not truth. And the truth is always preferable to the not truth because then we're not wasting time on the not truth. There's an almost a dismissiveness about the idea of being being false in any way. Mm-hmm. And it's less about any kind of sense of integrity or or goodness or uh, or even feeling good about being myself. Mm. It's about there is truth, and there is not truth, and I don't want to waste my time on not truth.
0: Also, other people's opinions don't matter at all. As an eight, mm-hmm.
2: I can I can go there a little bit. Like that's I conflicted a lot with the enneagram nine on our elder team because he was always worried about what people are going to think, and I always said, "Who cares? <laughs> There's we're leading this church, and we think that this is the right thing to do, and so that's all that matters." I can go there too, though.
1: So, what number do you guys think Randy is? <laughs>
3: to wrap all this up, (laughs) Kyle says. (laughs) Well, actually, Jeff thinks he is a one rather than an eight, and ones and eights can look very Hmm. similar Hmm. sometimes, especially because of the way their energy comes at the world. Uh, I am less convinced about one. Uh, I would lean toward four. I would say look into four, read a lot about fours, and, and see what's there, and if any of it Feels like home, then read more about force.
0: TJ is also much better at typing, at working with folks with typing than I am.
2: Can you describe for me again a one?
0: <sighs> Ones are going to take in the world through their intuitions, just be very aware of their spaces, not so much aware of their relationships, very aware of their spaces and how they feel. Ones are going to be angry at themselves commonly as, as kind of their, their default when things are broken. Ones are going to solve problems with their head. They want to, and they primarily want to focus on what's right. Some people focus on what the goal is or what the data is for fives. But ones focus on, it, rightness is a different category. If I know what's right, then I'll know how to be in the world. And I will be good and I will earn what I desire. That would be how ones often come to to the world.
2: Let me let me give you this I'm going to I could do this all night. Obviously, we're talking about me. This is great. Yeah, yeah. Just one one example, I was talking with a friend who is a Enneagram 1 and he like is you can see it on him. Like he feels like an Enneagram 1. Um and I was describing for him an experience I had with a Muslim um at a Muslim uh vigil for the Christchurch victims. This was several years ago, 50 some people got murdered in New Zealand for while praying. Sure. And I went to the vigil spoke there and, um, had this transcendent moment where an imam, a young imam who I know, you know, a little bit, he, we embraced, it was beautiful. I felt so received in that moment. And it was, it was, a it was a transformative experience in that I felt like it was, a um, I forget what I've called it, but like Jesus saying, "I have sheep who are not of my fold," and I felt like that. I felt like we. This is a Jesus moment, even though I'm with a bunch of Muslims right now. Um, I told that to my friend, who's an Enneagram One, who's also a pastor, and he short-circuited because for him, and I don't know if this is an Enneagram Oneness, but I, you know, in processing the conversation, this is what I've been told. For him, he couldn't he couldn't go there because is Islam and Christianity are different and there's rules about that. And it's like, you could see he, he, he broke when I was talking about that is that, and I've attributed that as he's an Enneagram one. He's he's things have to be in their order. And there there's a sensible way about this for me. It felt I was, I was basing everything about my experience in the authoritative moment that, that it was or not wasn't on what I felt. And I felt something deep and profound. And I'm going to go on that rather than what I think is, the right order that I've been prescribed before. Does that make sense?
0: It does. Being very black and white in the way that you're describing your friend Mm -hmm. is one posture to the world. Being very black and white about open-mindedness is actually the same. Hmm. Hmm. So when I come to the world, I'm a fairly progressive person. I've transitioned fairly hard on this front. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty aggressive now about prescribing a way of being open minded. Yeah. And that is the right way to think.
2: I identify with that in major ways. Yeah. It's
1: because it's true. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's fun. Thank you for doing this. This was. Yeah, it's fun like, for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys are obviously <laughs> experts at this. This is what I wanted to say. I, I, we can use this to wrap it up if we want, but I really firmly believe as as much as I've, or as little as I've engaged with the Enneagram, that it should not be done on your own. And I'm sure you guys would, would affirm that. Agreed. So for someone who can't afford or can't find a spiritual director or for someone who, you know, doesn't have a guru, would you say a good way to go about the Enneagram would be literally start at your, your, your podcast at episode one and just roll through it and kind of journey with you through that?
0: the we created a podcast called start here which has i believe 21 episodes that is the best place to go in our mind in terms if you want to jump into the material and swim in these waters secondarily if we end up because our circle is kind of small we end up meeting together monthly on zoom with about 20 people and we end up talking shop that might be another place to converse with people if you want to get into the material Um, If you wanted to get into theory and you really feel comfortable, then, then our primary podcast, which has a few thousand listeners, is called Around the Circle. Uh, Kyle and Randy, do you have, can you describe your podcast?
1: Uh, yeah, so our show is A Pastor and a Philosopher walking to a Bar. We only have one podcast. It's plenty. Underachieving. <laughs> it's all we can do. <laughs> um, so ba- it's basically what it sounds like. Both of our wives named it independently. <laughs> and we <laughs> thought, yeah, that's the name we should go with. We both uh, like bar spaces, both because of... Uh, nice alcohol, but also because of the kind of honesty that happens in that kind of space and the lack of judgmentalism and the free discussion. And so that's kind of what we try to do on the show. Straddling what it means uh, to think of the world from a pastoral or more theological or spiritual lens and what it means to think of it philosophically, because there's a huge amount of overlap. And so uh, we also try to have on a lot of guests, so that's the difference between our shows is we're probably 70, 30-ish guests to just us uh, riffing about stuff. Uh, so we have we have a lot of really interesting people on to get their expertise about various things.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, f- theology and philosophy are friends. Um, they, they should go together, and any conversation about spirituality, I think, is going to be helped by uh, a philosophical... Angle to it, or f- philosophical mind mindfulness, and um, we also love talking to experts in certain fields, and particularly in the church. The church is in need of listening to expertise. The church is in great need of um, awakening to some things, and we are we occupy that space in a post-evangelical kind of landscape where there's we we speak to theists, we speak to Christians, we speak to post-evangelicals, we speak to atheists even sometimes and um always though we're trying to uh, my motivation is just a couple things one is to have some conversations that i've been itching and dying to have but i can't have from the pulpit i can't go into in a 35-minute sermon but i want to flesh some stuff out and get deeper and talk about um, the real stuff and then also I just love the opportunity to talk to, 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 people who are really smart, a lot smarter than me in their fields and get to hear Kyle argue with them a little <laughs> bit sometimes or, <laughs> <laughs> but I, th- there's no off switch. I'm sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I enjoy having meaningful conversations about things that matter to me, which usually revolve around spirituality, around, um, philosophy about existence and reality. And how do we, uh, what's it, filter that. So we have a good time talking.
1: Yeah, we do. Check it out if your listeners are interested.
0: So that's our conversation with Kyle and Randy. Um, If you want to check out their work, the link to their podcast is in the show notes. I also referenced a debate that I had a while back about the scientific evidence concerning Enneagram. That's also in the show notes. If you're interested in connecting with us, we meet once a month on Zoom. To discuss Enneagram and topics that we're really interested in. If you want to join us, there is a link at AroundTheCircle.org. Just hit events. And of course, all the links to all of our stuff are at that website. The music here is by the great Brian Claxton. And if you love this podcast, we want your help. Uh, you can support us on Patreon, or even easier, is simply giving us some stars on your podcast platform of choice. Reviews are incredibly helpful if you have ten minutes to just pitch uh, some good vibe We're gonna end actually with a bonus section and uh, Here to lead us out is my discussion with Kyle about being a five and some of the first steps That someone who's a five who's just getting into this material might take and so we talk about being a five and having a very strong four wing And what that looks like all right friends I'm gonna I'm gonna talk shop with Kyle about his type
1: yeah so what was your what was your specific five questions
0: so when solving problems you focus on what's right or on what the evidence and data
1: says right all the same Uh, I don't think they're different and that's an honest answer okay I'm an evidentialist so what is right is the end of following the evidence
0: do you see a distinction between wisdom and knowledge?
1: Yes. Do you, do you have a preference? Between the two? Yes. Uh, how should I approach answering these questions? Is this intended to be an introspective exercise, or should I just say what I think? It kind, it kind of is. <laughs> uh, like,
0: on one front, it's introspective. On another front, I might sh- uh, it might be valuable for me to shotgun the questions in a way that might feel like I'm giving you you know, a psychological test or like showing you pictures that you're responding to?
1: Uh, I don't care, honestly. I'm happy with either. Um, Let me answer that question. I think I would prefer wisdom if I was pinned to it, but you could, there'd be a whole discursus of why, <laughs> what the two are and why they'd be different and why I would prefer one over the other. Perfect.
0: Do you find that you are more nihilistic than other people?
1: Not at all. The opposite of that.
0: Do you find that you want to conserve energy? Yes. Do you find that you have a radar for future threats? Hmm, can you give me an example of a threat? You know when your bank account's gonna run out. Yeah. I don't know if you're married, are you married? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you more inclined to to protect your resources as opposed to how your spouse spends money or or engages the world?
1: More than her, yes, but just considering me i still think i'm kind of in the middle i'll definitely have like i spend way too much on whiskey yeah Um, but at the same time i'm very hyper aware of like where i am financially and where i want to be and yeah
0: when you spend a lot on whiskey is it normally when
1: you are feeling pretty comfortable no (laughs) (laughs) it's when i see a whiskey that i want
0: (laughs) is it is it the case that you find yourself spending money on whiskey when you're in stress
1: no no not that either it really is situational so maybe i should say i i have deep sympathies with the tradition of virtue ethics but also deep suspicions about it um to the extent that you know studied with a famous virtue ethicist and wrote a paper basically saying it's wrong and she was like that's a pretty good paper (laughs) but you're wrong um but like there are situational variables to human Mm -hmm. character that I think are robust and important. And this is actually one of the things I think the Enneagram evaluations are not sensitive to. It's one of the things I mentioned in that essay.
0: Talk talk more about that.
1: Uh, I can only speak to the one I took because I didn't pay money to take more than one because that seemed (laughs) superfluous. So so, um, the questions as I understood them while I was trying to answer them honestly, could not possibly have been sensitive to social context and the kinds of variables that we know heavily impact human behavior. Um, So my answer literally would have been opposite depending on the context that I was in for many of the questions and I just simply didn't know how to answer it. And when you pose me a question like that, I just go to the middle because I don't know, I answer and that's going to skew the result because in some circumstances i'm going to be heavily in one number and heavily in the opposite number in other circumstances and the the test just wasn't sensitive to that maybe others are though i don't know
0: is it the case that your non committalness comes out of a space where you don't want to be put in a place where you haven't mastered your topic or is why do you think i'm else? non-committal you, you <laughs> i thought you said you were non-committal
2: did I say that? About the, the assessment. Oh, about yes.
1: that. Right. About whether or not my previous answer, or about the ambivalence of my, my previous answer. Yeah, I, I prefer ambivalent to noncommittal. I would happily commit if I knew the answer. It's just that in some circumstances, I'm one thing, and in others, I'm the other thing.
0: Okay. Do you find that you read other people's emotions like are you able to observe other people's emotions?
1: Mm, I don't know. I'm I'm good at observing um what would you call that? social cues. Um I can tell when someone's having a good time and when they're not, when they're confused and when they're following. I can tell when they got the joke and when they didn't. Yeah. I always get the joke. Um but whether I mean that's like one of no joke. That's one of the things I realized about myself earliest when I was, I don't know, six, <laughs> was that I got the jokes and other people didn't, and it was something I've wondered about. Um, but I don't think that's emotion, so I don't, I don't know. Do you? Would you describe yourself as conflict avoidant? No. Okay. Perfect. Um, Although that's complicated. I don't okay. enjoy conflict, but I also don't resist it. In fact, I'm more likely to create it (laughs) if I think it's useful, right? If it's constructive conflict, or if I think it's constructive conflict, I'll go right to it. Um, But I don't like it; it's not a, it's not enjoyable experience either. So,
0: yep. Do you expect rejection in your relationships?
1: No, Uh, when you first probably probably more the opposite of that.
0: You're are you're more inclined to want to connect to people around you.
1: Yeah, and to to be. I expect it to be reciprocated Really? Yeah
0: Alright, let me think about this for two seconds Is it the case that you can hand out your energy generously?
1: No, no So one of the personality traits I firmly believe in is introspec- <laughs> introversion um, okay. And I'm very much that But not to the extent that um, It's not extreme Like I I make friends easily I hang out in social situations easily Have good time but I would reach a limit. So. Right. Yeah.
0: Do you, do you, do you want to be seen by others? Yeah. I have Is a it... podcast, man.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Is, do you avoid being ordinary? hmm.
1: Well, I want to avoid being ordinary. I probably actually am pretty ordinary in some ways.
0: Do you feel good if you're true to yourself?
1: Do I feel good? What do you mean by feel good?
0: Authenticity isn't just a value, it's primary.
1: It is a primary value. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's one among other values.
0: I'm going to I'm going to give you two options and I realize these are again we're painting with broad brushes. Mm. It's the nature of language unfortunately on this front. I see myself as original, sensitive, and cultured. I see myself as, smi- as wise, smart, and receptive.
1: I have to pick one? Yeah. Probably the first one. Again, kind of ambivalent about it, but probably the first one. Would
0: you say that you are highly emotionally aware of what's going on within you?
1: Hmm. I don't know. I've read enough Freud to believe in the subconscious. I'm sure I have one. We've yeah. never spoken. <laughs> right? Perfect. <laughs> so probably not, but I also don't have any evidence of that directly.
0: <laughs> when you transitioned out of your your job, was your mind more on financial concerns? Or did you experience something that we might describe as envy for what other people mm. had?
1: But definitely both. Okay. Um, primarily absorbed by the first one because I have a family, yeah, but if I was still single, it would probably be more the second one. That's did probably say, my disposition I say honest. did I say
0: f- greed first or envy first? I
1: forgot <laughs> envy was the second one. You didn't describe the first one as greed though, which I do not appreciate <laughs> perfect why tell me why you don't appreciate it. That's not greed to to care about taking care of your family.
0: That's 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 well said.
1: And the envy is mostly professional, yeah, rather than financial.
0: Are you able to to really when you take in the world? Are you focused more on the past, or are you focused more on the future?
1: That's interesting. Uh, Definitely, I think definitely the past. I'd be lying if it wasn't the past. Do you? But I'm also like this is a place where my beliefs and orientations and my actions are in conflict and I'm well aware of the conflict. So I'm a futurist in some senses, philosophically have very little commitment to the past, made me unusual in a history department. Um, But that is what I think about far more.
0: Talk about being a futurist.
1: I think um, maybe progressivist is a better word for it. I don't know. I'm very optimistic about the future maybe even beyond the evidence which is a little bit at conflict with my evidentialism but like I have a a pretty hopeful take of where humanity's headed I've always loved Star Trek (laughs) for that reason like that jives with me I think that's uh, both probably true and also where we should err, even if it's not true Um, I don't have there's not a conservative bone in my body I, I don't have any attachment to past figures past ideas I have, you, you know, talk I, about I, I hear all the people, time. but this is, this is an important distinction. I talk about them if I think their ideas or their arguments are relevant to the future of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've heard very, you know, progressive people like, uh, like Jamie Smith, for example, say things like, um, do I really think I'm smarter than Augustine about X and I have no trouble saying, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Maybe not me personally, sure, but people alive right now. Yes. And I've met some of them. Um, I don't think anybody in the past was special by you know, being when they were or where they were. So I always am kind of focused on where things are going. I wish that I had been born four or 500 years from now. Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question.
0: It absolutely does. The idea that you are optimistic is interesting to me. When you have disagreements with your spouse, mm-hmm. do you find that you are solving problems With optimism or with Hmm. thoughtful reasoning or a different way
1: I don't know I don't think optimism is a problem-solving tool okay we
0: could go over here is not the way that you solve problems
1: what do you what do you mean by that
0: some people solve problems by saying baby there's a problem over here but we could go on an adventure we could leave this whole thing behind and go over there
1: uh, no I don't really do that okay I don't think
0: I was floating something that that was a wrong rabbit trail no that's
1: interesting in, I've never thought in,
0: of it that way. in solving problems you is it the case that you really want your spouse not only to see you but to under to feel the same way you do hmm about the world
1: well insofar as I think I'm right yes um, talk about being right. I don't know what does one say about being right. I assume you mean in the context of like an interpersonal conflict or something, because that's a different kind of right. Did, than, did
0: did I say being right, or did you say being right? You I said would, talk about being. No, oh,
1: who said it first? I did. Let I me said, re
0: let me restate it then as a real dichotomy that would be helpful. I want you to see who I am and how I'm feeling is one way of addressing problems. Mm-hmm. Another way is you need to think through this cleanly and clearly given the evidence. That's
1: another way of solving problems. Do you have a yeah. preference? Oh, strongly second, yeah. Okay, Yeah, which I took to be the reason I'm an obvious five. <laughs> right, But maybe I missed the core of that.
0: I'm, what I'm hearing in, in your language is actually a lot of four language. Now, okay. because fives and fours kind of sit together, so I'm this way with ones and nines. I use tools at nine to balance. This is what wings really means, is you're flying and you you, you, you try and balance. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we really balance with one wing versus the other. And so thinking about your emotions is a way that fives are in the world. Have you discerned
1: anything? Do you...
0: <laughs> so most of this is about finding... Type. Uh, Once you find your type, then you use the enneagram as a tool, and it like exposes places that we might work on given our type, given our way of coming to the world. Where are the places that I'm likely going to struggle? Where are the places I'm going to succeed? And, you know, elevating those in our minds can be valuable. So a few ideas for fives jumping into the Enneagram. The, the first thing that comes to my mind is it can be valuable to see one's fiveness through the relationships that you have. So fives often find safe positions to observe everything else. But when fives are in relationships, those connections will expose the fives tendency to withdraw. And this is worth naming. In excess, fives can become secretive. They can withhold. They can hide from others. Uh, they can postpone their emotional needs. They can neglect their own physical health. A lot of that won't get exposed unless we're in relationships. But when we are, then those sorts of things kind of you know will often get elevated in the heart and mind of a five. And so, unhealth looks different for different types. But these are some of the unhealthy tendencies for fives. Um, a second thing is it's important to note that the needs of fives are not a problem for the people who love you. This is a huge thing that, that fives need to hear from the people who care about them is that your needs aren't a problem. And being receptive to others' care can really matter. That's a choice. Uh, this is true of our spouse, of our friends, um, of our parents, but it's a primary For fives, connecting with God, allowing and inviting God to provide can be a primary place of connection with God for fives. Uh, Lastly, it seems to me health for fives often means engaging one's body. Uh, Acting on what you know is a common struggle for fives. Fives are very quick thinkers about their lives and the world out there, but actually doing something about it is the place of real work. So routine, productive action. This is a sign that a five is healthy. And so those would be like, if you get into Enneagram, those are the sorts of things that you would focus on. It's I've found my type, but what now? And because there are these patterns, really we look at other people's lives who share our type and we can say, well, where do they commonly struggle? Where do they commonly succeed? The thing that fives often give to the rest of us is you know a perspective that's untainted by emotion that gives clear insight into the world out there Um, they elevate the facts for us that tend to you know that matter Uh, the wisdom that uh, the non-attachment fives bring is a treasure and these are some places you know if i was a five that i might jump in and start asking these sorts of questions and elevating that kind of focus